Welcome to the first Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandin. Thanks so much for joining us. In this episode, we share our experience as children of migrants and discuss our journeys growing up ethnic in Australia. Think of this as a little context for all the episodes to come where we'll deep dive into the topics the two cultures were stuck in between, tackle differently. Enjoy! So we thought to start each uh, episode of our podcast by talking about one thing that we learned in the past week. So Senlin, what was it that you learned? So I remember a few weeks ago, we were having a conversation with our group of friends about what we could be doing better from our um, environmental impact point mm-hmm. of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt kind of overwhelmed after that conversation because, you know, there's still so much that we need to do. But I stumbled across a website which kind of lifted my spirits a little bit. So the website's called Ecosia. And Ecosia is a search engine which uses all their ad revenue to plant trees and puts it towards reforestation programs, which I think is so amazing because I can make a very small change in my day-to-day and a very easy change and have a passive impact, you know, rather than giving a few extra cents to a conglomerate like Google, I can have this environmental impact by not making a massive change in my life. Which I think is amazing, you know, it's kind of like sticking it to the system as well as making a very real change very easily. So when I found out about it, I was gobsmacked. Yeah, right. I'm going to check that out. I'd not heard of them before. What did you learn this week? So with Christmas coming up, um, at work, we're actually buying Christmas gifts for some foster kids. Um, So in association with someone who works in the foster care system, um, we're each buying some some presents. So I didn't know that that was something you could do, uh, that you could buy foster kids gifts. Um, And I'm sure that, you know, if you searched online, it is something that you can um, possibly do as well. So I know this year has been difficult for many, but if you do have, you know, some extra dollars to spare um, and you wanted to get a kid a present, maybe try to figure out a way to do so because these kids obviously don't have a lot and may not be getting Christmas presents otherwise. Maybe for our group of friends, Chris Kringle, maybe rather than getting a gift, I'll donate a gift to foster kids. Maybe we should all just do that. That's a great idea. Let's do it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So if we're going to share our experiences growing up ethnic in Australia, maybe we should start at the beginning. So Romy, how did your family end up in Sydney? Good question. And I don't know if you know the full story. No, I think I know bits and pieces. Yeah. So it's going to be good because I feel like I'm going to learn a few new things about you today. Yeah, and I, you too. So um, I was born in Sri Lanka uh, in the capital, which is called Colombo. And my parents in their family, in their immediate family, were the first ones to move out of Sri Lanka. Was there any backlash from their family because they were leaving? No, there wasn't because it wasn't meant to be a permanent move. Mm. They were meant to move temporarily because Mm. uh, my mum is very smart and she got a scholarship to do her PhD um, in affiliation with a uni here and a uni in Sri Lanka. Uh, So that was a reason for them to pack up and move. What was the PhD in? Something in IT. I have no (laughs) idea. I don't even, uh, the name of her thesis is like 15 words long. I don't know. Um, But I was six when all this came about and my sister was two. And my dad, being the supportive husband that he is, said my mom had to take the opportunity. They left everything behind 
took two young children and moved across the world to Australia. And that's how my family basically ended up here. I don't know how they did it because thinking back now with two young kids, I don't think I could ever pack up and leave Australia and go somewhere else. Leaving everything you know behind. Exactly. All your friends, all your family, your job. Like my dad had to quit his job. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they somehow did it. And when they got here and my mum basically, you know, had the time to do her PhD, um, once she finished, I was about to start year seven. So our parents basically didn't want to uproot me while I was about to start like a very significant time in my life. They basically stayed as a, for my sister and I, like, I'm sure life would have been easier for them had they stayed there. But I think they, you know, they sacrificed that. Um, so Abby and I can have more opportunities. And I'm, I feel like that's what a lot of our parents have done in moving out of a developing country and into sure. have they ever mentioned the that they have regrets or don't have any regrets about staying no I think when my sister and I used to have a little attitude growing up my dad would be like oh we should have just <laughs> stayed in Sri Lanka but he's more dramatic than we are um but otherwise they have no regrets they like the lifestyle themselves um mm. so they were happy to move I know you know obviously they had some financial struggle when they first moved here because my dad had to find a job my mum was on a scholarship but, you know, they persevered through. And, good on them. Yeah, all good in the hood now. <laughs> so you were six when you moved to Australia. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memories of being back in Sri Lanka? Um, not really because, as you said, I was six when my parents migrated here. So mm. I don't have much memory at all. The only thing I remember was I went to a very strict Methodist school and I had the scariest principal. Oh um, she told us that she would lock us in a cupboard or in a room if we were naughty. It was like Matilda Miss Trunchbull vibes. Um, and I was so scared of her. I would fake sick as much as I could, um, instead of going to school. But that's really all I can remember. We didn't grow up with a lot of family near us. We were in Colombo. Um, and my family were sort of in other parts of Sri Lanka. So it's not like I had that attachment either. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just. What about school? Did you learn in English or in Tamil? I learned both. Um, and I also knew Sinhalese, although I can't oh, speak that anymore. I can understand it still. I can't speak it. See, that's something I didn't know about you. Ah, I didn't know you didn't know that. There Growing we go. our friendship. Aww. One podcast at a time. <laughs> or breaking our friendship. <laughs> one podcast at a time. Let's find uh, out. Let's find Stay out. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I learned both languages in terms of um, English and Tamil at school, but the Sinhalese was because we had neighbours that were Sinhalese and, yeah, they... So it's more like you could understand it but not really speak it? No, I could. I was fluent in it while I was there, but now I can no longer... I'm not fluent, Mm. but I can understand it because I lost touch of speaking it Mm. frequently, so, you know. That's pretty cool, though. I didn't know you understand three languages. Yes. How about you? How did your family end up in Australia? So I, like you, Rami, am a Tamil from Sri Lanka, but my family's migration story started a generation before yours. So my amama, who's my maternal grandma, she's a university-educated teacher, whereas my tata, who's my maternal grandpa, he was a high school dropout who worked in radio. And he used to tell her that she's educated, not smart, because she knew everything by the books and she was really well-read, but she didn't have the street smarts like he did. So they were a really good balance for one another. and. I'd really love to tell their story somehow one day um, because there's so much richness to it. Yeah. Actually, something else that my data did that I might not have mentioned to you is um, he broadcast the moon landing across Sri Lanka and India. 
That's amazing. Yeah, so it's it's kind of weird how life works, right? Um, he worked in radio. My dad just had a career that. change and is now working in radio. And we just started a podcast. That's amazing. It runs in the, in the blood <laughs> of your family. Big shoes to fill. <laughs> so another job that my father had was working as a translator in parliament. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in the late 70s, early 80s in Sri Lanka knew that the political climate was changing. But mm-hmm. because he was in the room where these conversations were happening, he had a different sense for it. So he had this long internal conflict of, should I keep my family in Sri Lanka knowing that civil unrest was inevitable? Or should we leave to go somewhere safer? But, you know, am I a coward for leaving my homeland? You know, this is my country. Why should I run? Mm. So after debating that internally for a long time, he decided to move his family to India. And in that transition, um, they had a lot of complications, which we'll dive deep into when we have our podcast on casteism and classism. And it was lucky that they moved when they did because soon after there was the 83 riots and so on. Um, So once they did find their footing, they were able to help other people who are leaving Sri Lanka due to the turmoil to settle down in India. And one of the things they did was for paperwork reasons that act as the guardian figure for students who are studying in the north of Sri Lanka in a place called Jaffna to come study in India, Uh, one of which was my dad. So that's how my mom and dad got to meet. And um, very scandalously, they fell in love, which was massive at the time because everyone else on both sides of the family leading up to them had arranged marriages. And then the scandals don't stop there. Before (laughs) they got married, they both got accepted into universities to their postgraduate degrees in the US. Meticulous planning. I know. Uh, And then, yeah, so they studied in Boston where they eventually got married and have my brother and I, which is also why I bleed green. Let's go Celtics. That's all I need. Celtics. <laughs> um, and once they realized that going back to their homeland, which was going into civil war, wasn't something that they could do, they thought, okay, maybe America's not the best place for them to settle down. They don't have any family there. But we did have family establishing themselves in Sydney. So they kind of convinced my parents to move over. And like many Tamil families who moved to Australia in the 90s, we started the next chapter in Homebush, which was like the hood for Tamil people oh, back in the day. I did not know that. Yeah. Props to your grandparents for letting your mum and dad. I don't know how they got away with that. I feel like a lot of parents wouldn't allow their kids to do that now <laughs> before they get married. Yeah, I need to talk to my parents about yeah. what they said or what they did to get yeah, away with it. Yeah, totally. So I think that's another reason why my parents are generally more progressive than a lot of migrant parents and because they were the first love marriage yeah. on both sides of the family. So already breaking conventions. And in the late 20s, they moved to the Western yeah, world. Yeah, that's so true. Whereas other parents could be well into their 30s, some even in their 40s by the time they move somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess the difference between you and me, Romy, is that your family was pulled out of the country by opportunity, whereas my family was pushed out by the turmoil and conflict. Yeah. And that's a really good point for sure. Well, then fast forwarding a little bit to growing up in Australia, which is, I guess, what this whole sort of episode is about. Mm. What was that experience like being an ethnic kid um, growing up in, you know, a mixed sort of society? Yeah, I had a really blessed childhood. My parents took a lot of pride in our culture and they Mm. really put an effort to share that with my brother and I. So we spoke the language at home, um, in the car, instead of listening to the radio, we listened to Tamil music. They'd take us to different concerts and plays, but not just take us. That explains the significance of what was going on. Yeah. I think there's a group in our community who share their culture with their kids in a very strict and rigid way, which eventually yeah. pushes them away from the culture in the long run. Kids. Yeah, and maybe not explaining it 
in the deep ways that it should be explained. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really appreciate how my parents shared our culture with us. And now I've got this sense of responsibility that I want to pass that on forward to my potential future kids. Mm. And then in school, it never dawned on me that, you know, other people's cultures or families were different. It was more like, oh, you're from China. Oh, you're from Australia. Let's go play handball. There was nothing that could separate or differentiate us. It was only, it was not until high school where I kind of saw that under a bigger microscope. Ah, interesting. And then the language mm. is obviously sort of a, a big part of our culture yeah. um, as with any other ethnics. Was the language something that your parents pushed for you to learn? Yeah, Abma was a lot more lenient than Appa. Mm-hmm. So rather than going to Tamil school, which is like Sunday or Saturday school to learn language, they were just like, as long as we speak it at home, that'll be enough for you to like pick up and speak colloquially. Um, But that meant that he was really strict. So if we didn't speak Tamil, the rule was you get three warnings. And if you break the three warnings, you have to stand up facing the wall with your arms spread out wide. So for a, you know, a seven-year-old brown kid who has the strength of a seven-year-old brown kid that is painful as heck. Oh, my goodness. How long did you have to stand like that for? Until the tears started. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) That's hilarious. I'm totally going to ask your dad about that if we're going (laughs) deep today. Uh, But, yeah, what about you? You were six when you came. Did you have a culture shock then? But I guess maybe you're too young to think about that. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, I don't remember anyway. I don't think I had much of a culture shock. I think, as you said, I was just too young to really understand what was going on at all. I kind of just – moved to another country and then just had to go to school and I, I think that's all that's how I took it and I was less scared to go to school here than I was in Sri Lanka that really says something about how scary that principal was anyway um when I first started here I had to start in an ESL class and I think it was just a mandatory mm. thing because I'd come from a, uh, a non-English primarily speaking non- exactly yeah. exactly um but a couple of weeks in I think they thought my English was fine and then I was able to go to the normal classes. And then, like you said, I think when you're that young, there's a lot of beauty and bliss in the fact that you don't realise differences between one another. For sure. Um, And you're just so ignorant to that, that you just treat everybody the same. You don't realise that your colour, like your colour's different, that your background's different, you eat different foods at home, but... Mm. You don't care. All you want to do is just play together. I had friends who were, like you said, like Middle Eastern, you know, Serbian, Croatian, Indian, whatever, but it was all the same. Um, And it was wonderful. It was a great childhood. And then in the home, something really, a really great thing that my parents did was uh, force us to speak in Tamil. Um, similar to what your parents did mm-hmm. um, and that you know if we were talking in a lot of English they'd tell us to rein it back and start talking in a bit more Tamil so that we don't forget the language and I'm so grateful they did that because I can still speak the language um, not as fluently I guess as I used to be able to but I can still hold a conversation. I think your Tamil's great. It's okay I, and I can't read and write. I wish I had that skill, but it's not something that my parents really forced on us. Um, and if, if they had forced us, we probably wouldn't have wanted mm. to learn it anyway. But I wish I had wanted to learn it. Um, I mean, practically, you're not going to use it day to day, but I guess it's something yeah, that would be cool to say exactly. that you can do. Right? It's just a, a, another skill to have, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then aside from that, we grew up also listening to a lot of the music. 
Um, and also watching Tamil movies. Mm. So Tamil language movies generally, they're, they're filmed in India. Um, and, yeah, we watch a lot of those, you know, every weekend we'd sit down as a family and watch a movie. So I think that also helped me retain the language Yeah, too, when because when it's falling on your you, ears, exactly, it goes a Exactly, when you're hearing it all the time, um, you also learn to speak it colloquially yeah. in conversation, I guess, as well. Yeah, cool. Um, and then aside from that, you know, I grew up like any other, you know, girl in primary school. I watched Lizzie McGuire and Saddle Club. Don't you reckon, um, don't you reckon I'm Gordo? You don't are you a Gordo. First of all, I didn't know you watched um, Lizzie McGuire. So That's you don't know about for another child, time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as I said, I, I grew up watching Lizzie McGuire, Saddle Club, you know, everything that a, a girl that age would have grown up watching, um, not really realizing that there weren't people like me on TV, but it wasn't something that I was, you know, I didn't think of it, think into it too much. I just Mm. didn't even think about it, to be honest. And now as a 20 something year old, when I see shows like Never Have I Ever, which Mm. has a brown girl as the lead. And written by Mindy Kaling. Exactly. Who's ethnic as well. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, how great that is for representation because it just makes us all be able to relate to one another a lot better. So growing up, Obviously didn't see any of that, um, but, you know. I think my equivalent of seeing representation, or when it clicked for me, was seeing um, MAA come out with paper planes in, like, yeah. the <laughs> Yes. And then Swagger Like Us, like, that. one of us is on a track with Wayne and Jay-Z yeah. and Kanye. We made it. We're here. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd never thought of that. And I think something else was Slumdog Millionaire, mm. um, when, you know, Air Rahman, yeah. who is... Um, Dancing with the Pussycat Dolls. <laughs> yeah, like, in the J-Ho video clip, <laughs> you guys are remember that um and him winning the oscar i was like oh my god this is amazing you know a, a brown person uh, an indian you know music director is winning an oscar like this is incredible yeah um so there were things like that that came up but that wasn't until we were in high school right. so talking about primary school and sort of our childhood there wasn't a lot of that but you know i didn't think too much into it so you were talking about how it wasn't until high school that it dawned on you um, that you were sort of different yeah. from others. How did you go about that? How did that feeling come about? Because I feel like that's quite a young age, high school, to have this realisation. So towards the, I, I'd say towards the second half of high school, um, it was a combination of you know me reaching an age where I'm formulating my own values as well as some personal challenges at home. But I just became very aware that I'm operating in two different worlds which have different ways of viewing and navigating life. And I didn't feel like I wholeheartedly belonged to either one of those worlds because my values are kind of a blend of both. So sometimes I'd be with my friends from school and feel like I'm too brown and sometimes I'd be with my extended family or out in the community and feel like I'm too white. So it's like this really weird right. way of looking at myself and the world around me. I felt like I was kind of stuck in between these two worlds. What? <laughs> Did that just happen? Is that why we named the podcast Stuck in Between, Romy? Oh, yeah. It makes so much why. sense. This was totally not oh, scripted. This part is so lame. We need to cut this out. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had like a bit of a identity crisis I would say mm. which um, I know ethnic kids who had that identity crisis but I do know some that didn't mm. so what about you did you go through that I wasn't as woke as you as a kid say these days um that's the part we need to cut out of the podcast <laughs> me saying woke um I'm not cool and hip 
No, we're not. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't as truly as woke as you at that age because in high school I never really thought about um, my values and my culture and where I stand mm. and my identity. Like I didn't – I was just – I never really went through an identity crisis. I don't think I ever really went through one mm. now that I'm thinking about it. That's so interesting. But maybe I, I just – I probably should have thought about it a little. It was totally weird that I didn't go through one. But um, I just went into high school and I felt like I fit in at school. Um, We had a diverse group of friends, but we were all ethnic now Mm. that I think back. So maybe that was also why I just felt like I fit in because we all understood each other at some level. Right. Um, but in saying that I still did feel restricted and that my parents didn't allow me to do things, um, which was purely because I was ethnic. What's an example Um, of that? So I wasn't allowed to go out as much as other kids from school or other girls from school. Um, I wasn't allowed to date in high school. So things like that. And I know people around were, um, didn't allow their kids to wear certain clothes, you know, especially girls. I I should say Mm -hmm. girls, not kids. So things that are kind of normalized in the Western world, but immigrants may still be getting comfortable with. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I felt like, and back then I didn't relate it to the fact that it was because my parents are ethnic and they grew up in a different environment. Mm -hmm. That was why they don't understand what I'm going through in the Western environment and the norm in the Western environment. Um, But, you know, back then, as I said, didn't think of any of that. I just thought my parents aren't letting me do stuff. This is terrible. Nobody understands me, blah, blah, blah. So dramatic. But back then it was a big deal um, because I just felt so restricted. I felt like I couldn't be open with my parents. Mm. Uh, I felt like I couldn't be honest with a lot of things that I was thinking and feeling because I just thought they couldn't understand and right. they wouldn't understand. So I think that conflict and that's what you you were saying earlier, all the, the drama, like what, what all the drama was that I went through. I think that's what it was. Right. Um, all of that conflict and tension between my parents and I. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, as an adult, you look back and you see how your parents might have been a little bit justified in their insecurities because you're looking at them now as, you know, trying to adapt to this really foreign way of yeah. looking at things that they didn't grow up and they exactly. weren't used to. That's something that I remind my grandma and my amma at home, which is what I call my mom. Um, there's three generations that live in our house, right? And no one will wholeheartedly understand the experience of each other's because mm. it, they're just so different. So my grandma's experience of living her whole adult life in one country and then uprooting and living the tail end in a foreign world is something that my parents and I will never understand. Yeah. And then my parents' challenge of raising their kids in a world that they didn't grow up in, trying to instill values from their roots, but also helping their kids excel in the West is a challenge that my grandma and I will never understand. And then the culture clash issues that I've had is something that my grandparents and parents won't understand. So I think we just need to be a little bit more empathetic and understanding of that, that our values are kind of shaped by those very distinct and very different experiences and the times and the worlds that we're living in. And if we are empathetic and understanding to that, we can kind of see where they're coming from and why they're thinking the way they are, which as an adult, I can, I can rationalize, but as a high school kid, that never clicks for me. Yeah. And that's a really good way of putting it, the comparison of the three generations. So um, and, and that's a really good point there too, because as I said, when I was in high school, I didn't give much thought to the fact that my parents had moved to another country in their thirties 
um, where, you know, it's harder to assimilate straight away. It can take some time. Mm. And it wasn't until late high school, early uni years that I really realized this and I thought I should have cut them a bit more slack Mm. back then or discussed this and been more open with them when I was younger so that they would kind of hear my opinion and understand where I was coming from and I could understand where they were coming from and we could have met in the middle somewhere Um, because I feel like they are really understanding and they really do try to see where my sister and I are coming from but I didn't know this then you just don't think of them as people who make mistakes and who want to grow um so I I mean to this day I've never communicated any of this with my parents like I low-key they're gonna be in for a shock with us I know I was about to say I low-key hope they don't listen because (laughs) I feel like if they do they'd be like why didn't you talk to us about this back then because now there's super open yeah, they're great, um, but, you know, they probably wonder why I never talked about this in the past. I just feel, you know, I wasn't in a position where I could. Yeah. Um, but I feel like where I guess um, sometimes parents fall short is um, there's sort of a lack of understanding and holding on to certain values mm. without kind of integrating um, into this society. I mean, it's good to still hold on to because there's so many great things that are part of ethnic culture in general. Um, But some people tend to hold on too tightly to those things and expect their kids to be brought up the same way as they would have been brought up in, you know, India, Sri Lanka, China, wherever. But obviously your kids are going to be a little bit different to that because they have all these other influences around them outside of the home. So I think it's finding that balance. Yeah. Um, And I feel like that's something our parents have done quite well. I mean, yours are always quite progressive. Mine got there and then with my younger sister, you know, she pretty much could do anything. She was going out with her friends when she was like 12. They're really kind of let go of it's that. It's because you're the, the first child in a migrant family. I know. It, I feel like everybody who's a first child in a migrant family can relate, especially if you have a sibling of the same gender. I don't mm. know how it works between boys and girls. There's a bit of a difference there, I think, from what I've heard from For sure. friends. For sure. Um, yeah. No <laughs> but I, I was totally the guinea pig and I tell my mum that all the time and she gets um, pretty upset because she feels bad that mm. I was the guinea pig. But, I mean... What can they do? What is yeah. new to them too? Yeah, I think the most important point that you said was that it comes down to expectations, right? So if you're raising your kids in a new country, you can't expect them to have the same values that you had growing up because they're not growing up in the same time and place that you did. Exactly. I mean, and to that point, when we have children in the future, like your kids mm. are going to have even more different values just because the times are going to yeah. be different. I'm going to have a two-year-old who knows how to, like, to... make TikToks. Exactly. Or whatever the equivalent <laughs> of TikToks will be when you have a kid. Um, so imagine, like, you'd struggle, although you're, you know, Aussie and your kid's going to be Aussie, there'll still be some yeah. differences there that you'll struggle with. But I, mean, I feel like at... it's not going to be, I at least would imagine it's not going to be as hard as it was yeah, for our parents yeah, for because sure. they're uprooting from yeah. one universe to another. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's way more difficult for sure. Mm. So moving into adulthood, did that kind of change your connection with the culture? Um, I think my biggest thing for me sort of finishing school and starting university um, was that was when I realised that I wasn't very involved in my culture. Right. Um, I wasn't someone who you know, took part in any dance or, you know, any of the cultural or the arts. Did you see aspects. something or did you have a conversation for you to yeah. spark that in you? Yeah. So I um, started going to programs and shows that 
other universities were putting on. Um, and, and by other universities, I mean student groups, cultural student groups at other universities. Um, they'd put on these great shows and these great plays that I went to watch with some friends. And I thought, how amazing would it be if our university also had a student group to celebrate our culture? Um, so a few friends and I got together and we formulated or we formed um our student group, which, you know, is where you and I met. We talk about this in our trailer, trailer episode. Shameless plug. <laughs> uh, we talk about it in our, in our, yeah, in our trailer app. Um, but I think that was my biggest outlet for really embracing my culture a little bit more, getting involved, building a community of other awesome. people who are part of, uh, you know, the same culture as me. And then we put on like a great charity shows and things like that that were part of it was also a way of kind of giving back to the community as good well. On, good on you for starting that. Um, it wasn't just me. It was a few of us. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. Do you feel like starting that and going through that experience fulfilled what you were searching for? Yeah, I think it did. Um, I'm still, I still wish I'd done something in the arts. Like I, I like dance, so maybe like I could have done – I feel like I'd be, if I did like Indian classical dancing now, I would be in a class with like five-year-olds who would be way better than me. <laughs> that doesn't matter on me. Uh, yeah, m- maybe. Maybe I'd do it. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it fulfilled it to an extent That's because awesome. uh, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have gotten involved and I wouldn't have, you know, a great community and, and the great friends that I do now um, because of that society. So when I was rehearsing in my head how I would introduce myself for the intro of the podcast, I wanted to make sure that I introduced myself as Sandin and not as Senten. So I only introduced myself as Sandin to people who I know are Tamil, who can oh. pronounce the name, because ever since school, no one could pronounce my name properly. I did not know this. Yeah, so I started introducing myself as Senten. Even now, with clients or people at work, I introduce myself as Senten rather than Sandin, because oh. people have just found it easier to say. So in a way, I feel like I've been wearing two different masks. There's Sandin, who is a little bit more cultured, and Sandin, who you might catch at a pub. And it wasn't until my last year at uni where I realized that I don't need to fixate on the challenges of being in between two cultures, but it's actually a privilege. I can kind of pick and choose the values that I like from each and kind of create my own value set. And there was a lot of power in that. And a big part of realizing that was surrounding myself with people who shared similar experiences as me. They Mm. had this culture that they were proud of, but they were also part of the Western world. And joining the student group that you set up was, um, was the reason for that. So now that you're starting to pick and choose from your two different cultures to create your own way of looking at the world, what are your favorite things about your eastern side? Good question. I think my favorite thing about our eastern side and the the sort of the eastern values is uh, everyone's very hospitable. Mm. If you go to someone's house, I think your mom asked me three times today if I wanted dinner. Um, they look after you really, really well, and I think you know people who go back to the motherland um, on holidays can attest to this as well because people just invite you over for meals all the time. Um, and they'll just look after you as, as one of their own. And even think... even if people are fake, they're still going to look <laughs> after you. You're still going to get a hot tea. Yes, you will. Exactly. Uh, so I think that would be my my favorite thing about our eastern what side. What about – what do you think that our eastern side could be doing better? Yeah, so I think 
and this is something that I often think about. I feel like we often live by other people's definition of success. Mm. So we do things because we're worried about what other people will think and we don't do things because we don't want to upset others or look bad in front of others. It's a whole thing about prioritizing what other people think over your happiness. Exactly, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it and that's what it really is. And Whereas I think if you're not hurting anybody and if you're doing what makes you happy, especially, you know, in the Western world where you do have unlimited opportunities, um, you could just, you know, live for yourself and not necessarily live just for other people. And I think that's something that our culture still holds on to. Using my grandma as an example, Mm -hmm. the way she sees success is doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? Because (laughs) in that time, that's what success meant. You Mm -hmm. can only succeed in life if you were a doctor, engineer or a lawyer. But here in Australia, there's so many opportunities. So you could drop out of school and be a web designer or a tradie and be as equally successful, if not more successful than someone who went to university. Exactly. And it's not just to do with career either, right? So that's a very, I guess, a very stock standard way of thinking about success. I think there's other things as well um, where ethnic people, maybe Sri Lankan brown people, um, you know, even things like the way they're, who their kids marry and the, those sorts of things. And we'll touch on this in other episodes to come because that's definitely Shameless plug number two a from topic in itself. I think we should keep telling. <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there's things like that where we often or parents often stop their kids from doing things or don't approve of things because just because of their per- the perception that others will have of them right. and tainting that somehow. Um, but I think that if we flip the question, I think that's my favourite thing about the Western culture. Mm-hmm. People live for themselves. People do what makes them happy. Um, as long as it doesn't hurt others, I don't see any problem in that. I think it's a good way to live. Um, obviously, it, it, it's still good to consult people around you and and still not break bonds because of that. But at the same time, I think that's a, a culture, that, or that's a value of the Western world that I think the Eastern world could adopt a little bit more. Um, how about you? What's your favourite thing about our culture? I think for me, the favourite thing is the sense of community. Mm. There's this big diaspora who've left the homeland due to you know some difficult circumstances and we've been able to establish a network and community in all parts of the world. And I'm not saying everyone's like this, but there are a lot of people who will go out of their way to help people from their country, even though they might not have a direct relationship with them, which I love. That whole um, collectivism mentality, which I think is more prevalent in the Eastern world than in the West. Mm. Um, And the things that I think we could be doing better, I think... I think we are a little bit narrow-minded um, and not as open to new ideas as you and I are accustomed to growing up in the West. Mm. So I think that's something that we could work on. Mm, yeah. So for you, who's in a mixed relationship, mm-hmm. what would you want to pass on from your culture to your potential future kids? Yeah, good question. So I think the main thing that I would want to pass on is the language. So um, I'm as I mentioned before, I'm very grateful that my parents forced me to keep speaking it, so I still remember it now. And I think that's something that I want to pass on to my kids, so that because it's a huge part of our background and, and our identity. Heritage. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and although my uh, partner can't speak Tamil, um, he's Fijian Indian. I would still love to pass on the language just so they know it. And maybe, I mean, his family can speak Hindi. Maybe they can learn Hindi, so then they can be multilingual. Um, I think that would be great. And I think another thing is the arts. 
uh, which I mentioned was not something that I was very involved in, but mm-hmm. I would love for my future children to be involved in that yeah. um, somewhere or another just to, to sort of remember their roots a little bit. And the third thing I think is I would definitely take them to Sri Lanka so they can see where I've sort of come from, where our families have come from. Um, and I'll do the same and take them to Fiji as well yeah. so they can kind of see both worlds That's um, awesome. and remember that. Yeah. How about you? What would you pass on? Yeah, I think language would be a big thing. But to be honest, I'm not confident enough in Tamil to mm-hmm. – Teach it to someone else. They could do Saturday school with your mom every weekend. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a good idea. Um, but at the very least, it'd be some form of arts, whether that's dance or music. There's so much richness in that. Um, there's so much storytelling, and um, you know the ideologies from our culture come out through those arts as well. So definitely that at the very least. Yeah, perfect. I think also like little things, like I'd want, yeah, I would want my kids to call you Romi Mami, which is like oh, Romi Auntie. auntie but in Tamil, um, because the little things like that, that kind of remind us that, you know, we are part of this really great culture. Mm. We don't want to lose touch with that. That's a good one. I wouldn't have thought of that. My kids can call you Sandin Mama. I like that. From the old Sandin Mama. <laughs> Be angry <laughs> and overthinking everything. So as a way to wrap up this podcast episode, where are you at now with your culture? I feel like my relationship with my culture could be a little bit better. I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll see someone who's um, getting involved with a really creative project that's telling our stories or showcasing our arts in some way. And I feel like I'm missing something, which I think is a great outlet from this podcast in that I get to explore all these different facets that day to day without this podcast, maybe I wouldn't Mm. um, take initiative to do. Yeah, for sure. I think I agree with that um, because without this, I probably wouldn't be thinking too much into our culture or our experiences, ethnics, aside from when us to dinner about it with our group of friends. Um, But I think aside from that, where I'm at at the moment is what you talked about earlier, picking and choosing the value sets that we like the most from both both cultures. Um, And I think we're in a really privileged position there and a lot of other ethnic people could also relate to this where we've had so much exposure to both worlds that we're able to just take what we like create our own value set and go from there so I think that's where I'm at at the moment super proud of both worlds that I'm in um, and just trying to navigate it by taking you know the best of both worlds really I think you articulated that perfectly you couldn't have said that any better So we thought to end um, this particular podcast with something that we would recommend each other and our listeners um, for this week. So Sandlin, do you have a recommendation for me? Yeah, so my recommendation is a show called Rami. It's written by Rami Youssef, which you might have seen this comedy stuff online. No, I haven't. Um, It's a coming-of-age story of a guy in his late 20s who grew up in New Jersey who is now realizing that he wants to rekindle his relationship with his Muslim faith. And what I love about the show is that it shows different perspectives of what it means to be Muslim in America, which I think is really powerful because, you know, it's stories that we might not be too familiar with and experiences that we don't get to see day to day. Interesting. Where can we find this show? Um, It's on Stan. Right. I I will preface that there are a few episodes which are a little bit out there, but I think the message of the show is really pure. Hmm, interesting. I'll give that one a go. What about you? What do you have to recommend for me? 
Um, so my recommendation is something that I've been recommending to every human that I've come into contact with in I think I know what this the is. past few weeks. Um, and it's A Life on Our Planet by David Attenborough. I absolutely love David Attenborough. Always watched his docos. Um, this particular one really talks about how humans have essentially ruined the planet because of our actions. Um, and uh, he goes through from when he was a kid and how the planet has changed and how much, you know, we've ruined the environment. But it's not all doom and gloom because he really goes into how this can be fixed and he really gives us some tangible ways that we can help uh, as individuals, how we can help improve the environments. And I know a lot of it does come down to governments and big conglomerates and everything, but there are still small steps that we can take. So I would recommend anyone who has Netflix to watch that, even if you aren't a huge David Attenborough fan, first of all. Um, how can you how? not be? But <laughs> no judgment here, um, but it is just really, really really educational. So that's my recommendation for the week. Yeah, you recommended that to our group of friends and that ignited a really important conversation amongst us about what we could be doing better. So thank you for your recommendation. Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to our first episode of Stuck In Between. We did it. We made it through our first podcast. (laughs) We got through the first ep. Woohoo! <laughs> um, if you'd like to catch more of Sandin and I, give us a follow on Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcast. Please subscribe to our Spotify um, and we're also available on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to let us know how we did because we're here to improve. And you'll catch us on our next episode where we will be talking about all things relationships. See you then.